When a man is angry and frustrated, he goes into a blind rage. And if you can't control those emotions, I might do a lot of violence. Bedros Kulian, the goat of male self-improvement. He believes that average is the enemy and success is your responsibility. After escaping communism as a young boy, he grew up on the streets of the USA, and he now has an over $200 million empire. There's nothing this man doesn't know about getting rich, and he's here today to reveal exactly how you can unlock your full potential. The one thing men have to do is get lean and jacked, because it is the one thing that is 1,000% under your control. I'm called to serve men and help men level up. There are skills and traits that we all have to develop. That's the weight we have to carry, the price we have to pay. What's wrong with asking for what you want and being assertive about it? When I was 24, I was homeless, living out of a pickup truck. At 27, 28, I realized I'm unemployable. I literally have been fired from every job I've had. I worked with a therapist for 15 years to get over some that I had lingering from childhood abuse. You gotta let all that shit go. Every young man wants to know if he has what it takes to be with the men. So what do you think is the main skill that men are lacking nowadays? We're all the same. No, we're not. You are not allowed to let your emotions run wild, fellas. How do you want to serve humanity? Uh, I sit on a few million. I do like having cash. It feels good. No, bro. Everything's a test. This is a test. Can we go to dinner? I'm going to wait for you to eat first because I'm testing you. Welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, yeah. Great sure. to be here. So something you say is uh, average is the enemy, success is your responsibility, and change can take place in an instant when you decide to flip the switch. How can people flip that switch? Yeah, so <clears throat> the whole idea behind flipping the switch is changing your story. What ends up happening when you're growing up as a child, your parents, school teachers, maybe some kind of abuse or trauma you experienced, ends up labeling you. Like I was labeled as ADD, OCD, learning disabilities. So you begin to take on this identity, the identity of I'm slow, I'm not smart enough, I'm not capable. And then you realize all I gotta do is change the story. And if you're gonna change the story, I need to take on the habits, the behaviors, the traits of someone who's gonna carry a different identity. So if I'm gonna be the hero in my own story, if I'm gonna be he hero of my own life, what would that hero do? Maybe he's gonna work out more. Maybe he's gonna start learning a different language. Maybe he's gonna start taking on this venture of being an entrepreneur, right? And all of a sudden you realize as my story changes, I develop a new identity. That is flipping the switch. It's not quite an overnight thing, but it's a process that can go a lot faster than people think. So you taking some of those weaknesses that you mentioned, like ADD, um, dyslexia for myself, and mm -hmm. then turning them into strengths somehow and yeah, seeing like them a from a different power. angle? That's exactly it. So think of it this way. So, um, you know, my family and I, we escaped communist Soviet Union, came to the United States. I was six years old, went into kindergarten. So by seven, eight years old, I was in first grade, second grade, and they did some, you know, some, some research on me. And they said, well, you've got ADD and you've got OCD. All right. And so they put me on Ritalin and they put me in the um, special ed classes, right? Special education classes. Already, I didn't understand the language. So I was already in ESL. English is a second language. But now I'm also in special education. In special education, the kids in that class were known to be slow, what they called retarded, right? And so that was a label that I put on myself. If I'm in there, I must be slow. I must be not capable and have what these guys have. Little did I know that ADD just simply means that I really need things to be interesting because when I am interested in something, I can focus and I can go all in. So if someone can't keep my attention, hey, be a better storyteller. 
be more intriguing, be more charismatic. If you can't, I'm off to the next thing. And OCD simply means I can lock on. It's funny, I did a post about that literally today on my Instagram. OCD just means I can lock on to an idea, to a topic, to something, which means that if I lock on to something, it's getting done at the highest level. And so what I thought was learning disabilities, what I thought was shortcomings really has become a superpower for me and all the different companies that I've created. At what point did you realize that it is a superpower? Probably not until I became an entrepreneur. So around 29, 30 years old, I realized I was at 27, 28, I realized I'm unemployable. I literally have been fired from every job I've had, right? So I knew I was unemployable. So hang on a minute. Why were you fired from those jobs? Well, I was fired from the gay bar because I worked at a gay bar as a bouncer for a period of time, about six months, because uh, I was like, dude, I'm not going to keep fighting skinheads. Skinheads would come to gay bash and yeah. when the club was out. So why don't you guys call the cops? You know, every night there's going to be skinheads here. I'm not. It's one thing breaking up two gay dudes from fighting over whatever. Right. It's another thing for skinheads to be outside with, you know, bars and chains looking to gay bash and then we have to get into altercation. So I was like, I'm not doing this. They're like, all right, you're fired at Disneyland. I got fired for um multitude of reasons i've told the stories on my podcast but i one of the stories was we took bus tubs i worked in the kitchen i took bus tubs of pots pans ladles and i dumped them in the jungle cruise river and that those river boats are on a rail right. now i was part of the closing crew i should say that it's like 1 a.m in the morning carnation cafe main street restaurants i have a slow crew that i'm working with i work fast in everything i do right. and i realized these two cats that i'm working with are very slow and I did the math. We were going to get out at 4 a.m. I was supposed to be back in there at 6.30 a.m. I opened the next day. Like, I'm not going to sleep two hours just because these idiots don't know how to bust tables. So I started busting tables. Instead of putting them through the DMO, dish machine operator, I just opened the back door where the Jungle Cruise boats are parked. And I was just dumping. Bad thing to do. I realized it was a very, very bad thing to do. But I was just dumping pots, pans, ladles, everything into the Jungle Cruise River. It didn't, it didn't click that this thing was on a rail, yeah. right? The boat. So the next morning when I come to work, I see the divers fishing out pots <laughs> and pans and ladles. And well, I'm like, did, what? Did the thing actually derail? Mm -hmm. The first boat right. when they went to take it out for the morning derailed and it. Yeah. So that the first half of that day, Jungle Cruise was closed. So there was a multitude of events like that that ultimately got me fired. Same from, uh, at, I worked at a bagel store. I was giving away food to, to people who couldn't afford it. Just figured, hey, it's, we're going to throw these bagels away anyway. And you can't afford it. You're, you're homeless or you're you know, down on your luck. Here's some leftover bagels, right? The owner found out, fired me. So I always did things differently. Yeah, it's I, an essential questioning the authority yeah. all the time. Mm -hmm. And yeah. efficiently as well, it sounds like. You, you found the quickest, most efficient way of doing things, even yeah. if it wasn't necessarily... Which I guess is a trait of an entrepreneur, right? You're doing things your way, if yeah, it makes sense yeah, to do yeah, so. Yeah, yeah you, you nailed it. And in fact, you know, years later, so 10 years ago, so I'm 49 now, at 39, um, I worked with a therapist for 15 years to get over some shit that I had lingering from childhood abuse. Um, and he gave me a personality test, and I came back as an INTJ. And the INTJ, introverted thinker, or introverted... Um, the N stands for, oh, it escapes me now. This is a thing that uh, Katy did all the time. Yeah. INFJ yeah. or yeah, whatever ENFP comes to mind. And, yeah, 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 yeah. So you're either introverted or you're extroverted, right? Mm. Oh, introverted, intuitive, right? Mm. Thinker, T, J, judicial or judgmental. And so apparently that 
personality type is known as the architect. And the architect, if you read about the architect, they just look for efficiency. They just look for the fastest way to get something done. And when you're young and dumb, that personality type leads you to cutting corners that, that might not be the best way to do, go about it, right? And that's, in hindsight, that's what I did. It also gave me the ability to become a very focused and driven entrepreneur. So do you, do you think those personality types are a result of nature or nurture? You obviously mentioned some um, hard times that you went through as a kid. Is that where people develop personalities? Sure, sure. Yeah, in fact, um, I've, I've since researched personality types. And whatever your personality type is, like I said, mine is an INTJ. Under stress, under chaos, your letters will flip. Right. So I become very extroverted under stress and under chaos. Like if something happened, then I would be the one to take charge. Um, it's just naturally for me to turn into a protector. And so why that is, I don't know. That's just how our psychology works. Is it nature and nurture? Possibly because uh, I've got a son and a daughter. My wife gave birth to both and we raised them both equally the same. My daughter, very extroverted, extroverted. My son, Andrew, very much like me, introverted thinker. There's a lot happening behind the eyes. Chloe is just outside, right? Extroverted. In fact, when we go stay at resorts, when we travel places, when we're going to order room service, Chloe, call room service. And she's all on it. She's doing it in different voices. And <laughs> right. She's like Mary Poppins. Um, Andrew will never do that. It's just a very different personality type. So I think part of it is nature. And there is some form of nurture involved too, whether it's abuse, whether it's how you raise them. Um, but, but I think nature plays a big role in personality types. Sure, I can definitely relate to that. I think me and my siblings, we're all just the same upbringing, but totally different. Presumably it's a, is it important for someone to work out what personality type they fall under? Because then they can use that to navigate how they do things later on. And, and if so, how do we figure out what is our personality types? Just on the back of this quickly, I've never been a fan of these personality type questionnaires and stuff because it, it puts you in a box and in a Bingo. way labels you. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask. What's the difference between the ADD and, you know, these, these labels, personality yeah. tests, and is it worth doing? It, it's worth understanding what your core fundamental operating system is. To go then, because I'm introverted, I shouldn't be on podcasts. I shouldn't take the stage. I shouldn't have my own show. Because as an introvert, this is not something I want to do. As an introvert, I don't want to stand in front of 5,000 people at a live event. As an introvert, I don't want to look down the barrel of a camera on my show. But I do these things because I'm called to do something greater, right? To serve humanity at a higher level. So just knowing how you are because realizing that, okay, hey, I'm a introvert at a live event. I'm not going to be the guy raising the roof at a meet and greet. So when Joan there books a live uh, speaking event for me, odds are when they say, hey, can he attend the meet and greet, meet people, do the cocktail party? Nope. He's going to go to a different hotel where he stays and go and retreat. And that's how I recharge. I know that about myself. The extrovert, man, he'll speak to 5,000 people. He will get re-energized by those people and he will stay at the cocktail party and do the meet and greet. So to know how your core fundamental operating system is, is one thing. But then to realize that if I want to be this guy or if I want to achieve this level of success, these are all the things I have to do. So I have to bring out my internal extrovert. And, and you do. In fact, Beyonce knows. Um, there's a whole awesome Wikipedia article about it. She's got her, I guess she calls it her alter ego, Sasha Fierce. Have you guys heard that? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, because Beyonce, Christian, 
you know, small town family. She's like, I can't get on stage wearing fishnet stockings and dancing provocatively. And they're like, well, if you want to become famous and that beautiful voice of yours to be heard, that's what it's going to take. So she's like, all right, Beyonce can't do that. But Sasha Fierce can. And so she understands this is her core personality type. But then this is who she has to become to serve humanity. How do you want to serve humanity? Um, for me, it's very simple. I realized that I'm called to serve men, even when I didn't know this about myself. When I was a personal trainer at a big, big box gym, the other personal trainers, the other guys in the gym would just come and start talking to me, come start rapping with me, just come telling me their problems, come tell, asking me for uh, help with their shit. And I didn't even know how to help myself then, let alone them. I just was this, wherever I went, I was big brother, right? And um, in fact, my wife, who I met in that, in one of those gyms, she was a personal trainer. She goes, you know, you seem to be the Pied Piper of broken men. I was like, tell me more. She goes, I just noticed that if you're not training a client, you're just hanging out, watching the, the gym. Just guys seem to come and talk to you. There's always a group of dudes asking for your advice. And she was like, I could tell they're all like kind of broken men who are looking for some guidance, some direction, a path in life. Uh, I go, that's interesting because I'm still looking for my path in life. This is before I was an entrepreneur. I was getting paid to be a personal trainer. So I knew that I was already drawn to that. And so I'm called to serve men and help men really level up in terms of self-mastery, which is to develop financial sovereignty, to be able to think for themselves again, to embrace their masculinity. It's okay to be able to share your thoughts and your and to be able to want to acquire things, a nice watch, nice clothes, to have multiple cars, have have you know, impact and legacy, like none of that is toxic. Uh, we've been told it is over the last 15 years. And through ideological subversion, we've been brainwashed by media and television and movies and universities and even churches. And I think men realize like, hey, I don't feel right being muted. I don't feel right. Something doesn't feel right being this way. I don't think my natural instincts are toxic. And so when they hear a logical voice go, dude, it's okay to want to be jacked. It's okay to want to be rich. It's okay to, to want to acquire things and wealth and to be able to, you know, be in the 1% of society. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it is okay. So that's what I'm called to do. And I, I think I do it well. Um, do I have my share of enemies? Sure. Um, but that's okay. Je Jesus has his own share of enemies. Why wouldn't I? Do you think over the course of these last 15 years being the Pied Piper of broken men, that the number of broken men has increased? Um, or is it just becoming more prevalent because of the internet and all of yeah. these podcasts? Good question. So first off, as when my wife, who at the time was my girlfriend, said that, um, they, they were just men who were lost and confused, like like most of us are. And, and, and the reason is, you think about this, you don't have a dad in your life, maybe 50% divorce rate, right? So these guys didn't have dads in their life. Um, they didn't have a male figure to give them some direction. And if we know anything about history and anything about men, all men need a rite of passage. When you're 13, 14, 15 years old, you're looking up to the older boys in your community, to your older brother, to your dad for a rite of passage into manhood. Uh, tribes, cultures for thousands of years had a rite of passage for their young men to become the men of the tribe and to win a seat at the table. This is how tribes grew and protected themselves from the opposing tribes. And all that went away. And so it's not so much that these men are broken, it's that they don't have a male figure to, to be able to model what man being a man is about, right? 
And so they're confused, they're lost. Does the internet do a good job bringing these guys together? Sure, the algorithms go, hey, if you like cars and money and, and want to better yourself, you might want to follow this guy, that guy, and that guy. Do you think that has a net positive effect though, being able to see all these lives that maybe the average everyday Joe wouldn't have been able to see before, all these flashy cars, women, et cetera? Do you think that's a positive impact on the youth or actually a benefit because they have something to, to strive and achieve? I think, I think it's a positive impact. I mean, why, why wouldn't it be? When, when you seeing is believing, like Roger Bannister, right? Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. Up until then, doctors, coaches, everybody said, you can't run the mile in under four minutes. If you do, your shoes can't handle it. Your bones and muscles can't handle it. Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. Within the next four years, over 1,200 other men had broken the four-minute mile. And so seeing is believing. And so if you... Um, like you guys seem much younger than I am, right? Probably in your 20s, I would imagine. Yeah, 25. Mid-20s, yeah. Okay, so mid-20s. Like at, when I was 24, I was homeless in a pickup truck, living out of a pickup truck. So imagine the internet existed back then, and I saw dudes in their you know, in, you know, early 20s, mid-20s, rocking a show like this. Wouldn't that inspire me then to go, you know what? I don't have to be in the back of this pickup truck. Maybe I can build something of myself. I suppose the problem comes though, when like back in the day, people would have been a plumber or an electrician yeah. and they'd be happy with it. They've got their wife, they've got their two kids, they've got their house, they're happy. Yeah. But now it's like, well, this 17 year old's drop shipping and he's making 150K a month and he's <laughs> shitting on me. All right. And that's probably where the depression comes in Correct. and it becomes a, a net negative maybe. When we begin to measure ourselves, right? So to be inspired by you is one thing to then start measuring myself. In other words, let's say you guys have been doing this for years and I happen to be in the back of my pickup truck and let's say there was social media and I'm looking on my iPhone back then and I'm like, wow, if in six months, if I get all bummed and I'm not at your level, yeah, that's gonna have a negative effect on me, right? Because I can't measure your five years to my six months. And so people have to take that into perspective. I should be inspired by you, but maybe they should be inspired by the 17-year-old that's dropshipping and making 100 grand a month. But that just means that you can be a plumber and maybe start a side gig on the nights and weekends where you generate another five grand a month. Like that is a massive financial benefit. An additional five grand a month to the average household is a massive financial benefit. Be inspired by that guy. Don't feel like he's shitting on you, right? It's, yeah. So getting depressed, I, I think that's, you know, there's that energy, frequency, uh, triangle that you could find on Google. And at the very top is like self-actualization and, and, and fulfillment and happiness. At the very bottom is guilt and shame and sadness. And it tells you like the frequency, um, like jealousy, uh, guilt, shame, depression, anxiety, all have low vibrations. And so what can I do when I see this? I should be inspired and not feel like I'm missing out because if I feel like I'm missing out, then I am going to get depressed about it. And that's just going to lower my frequency. And therefore I'm going to see more negativity in my life. I think there's a difference that I've seen anyway, in between different cultures in the world as well. In England, if you tell someone, if people are having a conversation about how much they earn or how well they're doing a business, it's almost frowned upon and people are very bitter and jealous. Mm -hmm. Whereas from my perception, anyway, I don't know what you think, but people over here seem to talk about it more and it's more applauded. Yep. Yeah, I, I've made it, my wife and I have made it very okay, very normal to our kids to talk about money. Yeah. Because money is a vehicle to freedom. It solves the problem of not having money. When we went out and visited Scotland, we were able to stay in castles instead of five-star hotels. Like, 
what an awesome lifestyle that was. Like that was a cool experience. I didn't have that experience as a kid. I was able to give that to my kids. And so it's about normalizing things. And so in the culture that where, where you come from, because I've got clients from you know all over Europe and, and certainly from the UK, and it's, it's not proper to talk about money. Well, yeah. then how are we gonna get money educated? The number one thing we need to sustain life, shelter, food, we can't talk about. Is it just factory installed in me? Am I supposed to know? Because I don't. So if I'm not taught it, then I'm going to have bad money habits. That's going to lead to depression, divorce, abuse of vices, because then I have to escape from my money woes by drinking, smoking weed, doing something, right? Or I could just normalize talking about money. And if you don't know anything about it, I go, don't worry, bro, I got you. I'm going to teach you. And here's how money works. It doesn't favor the rich or the poor. Money just goes to those who want to serve humanity and add value. And so what way can you serve humanity and add value? And they're like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy the negative implications attached to it. I want to get into how men can sort of get out of that rut that we've been talking about. But I think it would be cool to add some context to, you mentioned your childhood a lot there. Yeah. What was childhood like for you? Well, I've, I've had two childhoods. I've had the childhood in Armenia, which was in communist Soviet Union. Um, and, and there... My dad was a member of the Communist Party. So only 17% of the population was a member of the Communist Party. So he had rights and privileges that the average person didn't. And the Soviet Union in the 80s, especially late 70s and 80s, uh, did not do well. Um, there wasn't food everywhere. And so if you were a member of the Communist Party, your household had food. You Surely had, that doesn't make much sense when it's communist. Everyone should be the same. Right. So why are they you getting would, benefits? Yeah. Isn't that interesting, right? Mm. In fact, my dad had a red card once he became a communist member. Uh, almost picture it like a passport, like a second passport. that was a different color that designated him as a communist party member. And that he could walk into anywhere and use that red card to get access to food that wasn't, wasn't on the shel shelves, but it was behind the counter really? waiting for people like him to be able to access. So when we think about communism as equality for everyone, it is the opposite of that. It is oppression for all and then equality for some, mm -hmm. right? Um, so anyway, I literally grew up eating sourdough bread with butter on it and caviar every morning with hot tea as a child. Um, so my childhood in Armenia was amazing, other than the fact that there was two older boys. So I was probably between the ages of four and six, right before we escaped and came here. There was two older boys, probably 13, 14 years old, uh, who befriended me and um, molested me uh, regularly over that two-year period. So while I had a great childhood in terms of access to food and you know, we still didn't have running water all the time. Water would be touch and go. Electricity would be touch and go because that was for everyone, right? You can't just turn on water for one household. Um, I was molested by these two older boys on a regular basis, and that really created a negative imprint on what a male relationship is for me growing up, especially in my late teens and early 20s. I had a very, very... Um, self-sabotaging relationship with with any kind of male figure like if i felt like you were in a in a position of authority over me like we were always going to butt heads because i was responding and reacting to what happened to me as a kid now when we es escaped and came to the united states that also freed me from constant molestation but when we came here now i'm six years old going on seven i don't speak english i don't understand the culture i'm wearing funny clothes i have a funny haircut right my mom gave me a bowl haircut we're living in government assisted housing which is called section eight housing out here 
having food stamps. Uh, so whenever you go to the grocery store, you can't buy brand name stuff. You have to buy store brand stuff. And, um, you know, people kind of look at you funny because they know that you're the peasant of the mm. community. Uh, and so I literally went from like the Cinderella life with the exception of being molested to this life of like, holy crap, man, I'm being beat up in these gang infested apartment complexes. Um, no one likes me. We keep changing homes and apartments and therefore I keep changing schools so I don't have much friends. I hated my youth out here because it was constant change and constant chaos. What I didn't realize is it also taught me how to meet new friends and then have to say goodbye and meet new friends again at the next school and the next apartment complex. And so that also became a superpower for me in the future because today I can build rapport so quickly because as a young young boy, I didn't know how long we were gonna be friends. So once I realized that I'm at a new school, I'm gonna make friends with these guys, I may be gone in three days, I may be gone in three weeks, three months, I don't know. But when I go to the next school, I'm gonna make friends again. Why would you be moved around so much? Uh, it's just, you know, you only have, so Section 8 housing pays, so what you do is you pay a modified rent, right? And so if my dad found an apartment complex where, hey, that complex, the rent is lower, which means the modified rent that we pay is lower. That means more cash in our pocket from the three jobs that he had, right? That means if it was closer to one of his more important jobs that he wouldn't have to take all four buses to get there, he would take one bus and therefore it would save us money. So it was always a money situation. In fact, I remember my dad saying, we would run out of money before we run out of month. Every single month, we would run out of money before we run out of month, which meant he either would have to pay for the gas bill or the electric bill or the water bill, but we can pay for all the bills when we lived in Section 8 housing. And so as you move around a lot, you, of course, when you go to a new apartment complex, you're going to have to go to a new school if it's far enough away from the other school. Because uh, here, I don't know if you guys know, there's like districts. Yeah, so, we call it a catchment area or yeah, something like there that. There you go. Yeah. Very similar. So we have districts. And so I moved to a new district. You go to a new school. And I very quickly had to make friends. But what a superpower that became. Like it sucked back then, right? Because I can't say that I have a, my dear friend from elementary school, junior high. I even went to two, two different high schools. I don't, I can't tell those stories of, you know, the sport teams that I was on because I wasn't on any sports teams. I didn't have any childhood friends that I could lean on today. Uh, but what I do have is the ability to build rapport, to connect with people quickly because I didn't know how long I was going to stay there. And so I had to develop that skill. How did you nurture an abundance mindset when it comes to money? If you're always getting told, you know, the month's going to run out, what well, the money's going to run out before the month Yeah, yeah, yeah. and being drilled into you all the time. Yeah, truth be told, up until about my mid, probably at your guys' age, about 25, 24, 25 years old, I was in a scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. To me, money was not for foreigners. Money was not for uneducated people. I dropped out of junior college, not even regular college, junior college in 31 days. Like, I, I realized this wasn't for me. Barely made it out of high school. So I knew, like, okay, blue collar, you don't make money. Foreigner, you don't make money. Uneducated, you don't make money. Well... I became a personal trainer, unbeknownst to me, just because I loved fitness, right? Fitness changed my life. I was a fat kid all throughout school. Uh, when one of my classmates taught me how to work out, um, I lost 30 pounds uh, before the summer before my senior year of high school. And I was a new man. Like I, never mind the physique, the confidence, the ability to connect with people, just went to a whole new level. I was like, I want to do this forever. So I became a personal trainer. You could just get certified. It was like 50 bucks to get certified, take some, you know, study some stuff. And so lo and behold, when I start 
Sometimes I've, I realize I've had many lucky breaks in my life, but that's also a byproduct of like, if you constantly show up, one of those doors are gonna be, gonna give you a lucky break. So I, I think just, that's the key part that people miss. Just show up. It's you just got lucky, but they're yeah. never trying. So how right. are you gonna get lucky? Right. And so I knew that, okay, well, I dropped out of college. So if I wanna make good money, I'm gonna go be a personal trainer. And the more people I can train, the more money I can make. Well, I didn't even connect the dots that the only people who can afford a personal trainer are pretty wealthy people, right? And so you have built in mentors. And I had four personal training clients at the time when I started at this gym, LA Fitness in La Habra, not too far from here, about an hour from here. And one of these guys was a 62 year old millionaire uh, who owned a software company, Jim Franco, charismatic as the day is long, larger than life personality. He would swagger in at two o'clock in the afternoon to train with me. And you know, I would look out the door um, at 155 to see what, what, what car Jim is driving because I had realized he's got this old classic Mercedes. He's got this Cadillac Escalade. And one day I asked him like, Jim, how many cars do you have? He's like, kid, you can have as many cars as you want. I was blown away, man. I was driving a 79 Toyota pickup that was questionable at best, right? And so what do you do for a living that you can leave your work? It's like, I'm a founder of a software company. I'm like, so you just leave? He goes, well, yeah, I start early, I work hard, but I could leave in the afternoon and come work out with you. And then I go home and I do more work. And he was just blowing my mind. So I had this built-in mentor. And I don't know if he just saw something in me or if I was just asking the right questions in between the workouts. Um, but at some point he started hanging out after every workout. And if I didn't have a client after him, he would just start speaking success into me. And, and he would start speaking truth into me. Like I never, he goes, you, you realize why you only have four clients and you're still a bouncer at that gay bar, right? Cause I would complain about, you know, I'd have to go to sleep at like three in the morning and then be here in the gym at 5 a.m. the next day because I'm working at the gay bar. He goes, you're a horrible closer. You don't know how to sell. I'm like, I beg to differ. I sold you six months of personal training, three times a week, you come in here. Uh, he goes, yeah, but you took my order. I knew I wanted to train with a trainer three times a week. You just fulfilled an order. You're like a waitress. He didn't even say waiter. He said, you're like a waitress <laughs> at a restaurant, right? He was very harsh with his words intentionally. Mm -hmm. And I, again, took offense to that. I go, well, Jim, if, if, if I can't sell, then, then how do I sell? The next day he shows up with three books, right? Uh, Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, and Zig Ziglar, all sales books. One of them was like real estate sales, but he goes everywhere he says real estate, just read fitness. I go, fine. I read the books, a month later, I give him the books. He gives me cassette tapes of Brian Tracy. I think that's the key difference though. Most people, if you gave them the books, they wouldn't bother reading them. Right. And that's where the advice would stop. But because yeah. you took action, he wanted to help you more and more and more. That's exactly it. So I guess to answer your question, the abundant mindset came from Jim when I realized he could have three different cars at any given time. He can live, he invited me for lunch one day to his house in the hills, like you're overlooking the city. And I was like, dude, I'm the peasant that lives way down there. Like you're looking down on me. I want to look down on someone one day, you know, like I want that life. Yeah. And so again, the Roger Bannister factor, seeing is believing, right? And so, and then to have someone who takes the time to believe in you, you realize, well, they might see something in me. So when you don't have the confidence, you're almost writing on their confidence that they have on you because why would a millionaire take time to invite me to lunch to his house? Why would he bring me these books that are so coveted for him, right? And as I started reading those books, I learned about the abundance mindset. I learned how to sell, how to market, how to influence, how to overcome objections. And my confidence just kept soaring. I kept building more uh, clientele at that gym. The only problem was I would get a small commission. The, the gym would get most of the money. And one day, Jim Franco said, um, have you thought of opening up your own personal training studio? 
I was like, takes money to make money, Jim. He goes, no, it doesn't. Because I had that belief system. Like people tell me today, well, you're rich. So of course you can make more money. It takes money to make money. It's like, no, it takes adding value to make money. And so he said, look, why don't we, why don't we find you a little footprint somewhere? You can open up a little gym. He loaned me 50 grand, but it wasn't like 50 grand all up front, like piece by piece as I needed because he didn't trust me fully yet. Right. But all this to say that when you have a mentor who can show you the way, who believes in you, who can teach you the abundance mindset, you soon realize that he's no different than me. He just has, he has a path that he was either given or he discovered that he's willing to pass along to me because there's a value exchange here. So what I ended up doing is I said, hey, can I train you a fourth time a week so that I could, on that one day, I wanna ask you a lot more questions. Cause I, I felt like I'm really screwing up this guy's workout, right? Because like we're taking five minutes of rest in between sets. So if I could train you fourth day a week for free, can I ask you more questions? He said, sure. So I realized in that moment, I gave him value. He gave me value in return. All that to say, had I known this, if like any young man is listening today, if you got 10 grand and you're like, what do I do with this? Should I go buy that course and learn Amazon drop shipping? I would say go find a mentor who you want to be like. Give that mentor the 10 grand and go teach me how to be like you. You'll, you'll develop a lot more skills and traits and self-development from that 10 grand invested in a mentor who's maybe got two decades over you than a course where you still don't have the discipline, the habits, the beliefs, the, the ability to, to launch with that course. That's why those courses have a 80, 90% failure rate, not because they suck, but because the person using it doesn't have the qualities of a focused entrepreneur to execute. So do you think on the back of that, do you think anyone can become rich yeah. or it's a selective people with it's, those qualities? No, no, it's, it's formulaic. Anyone can become rich, but you have to develop those qualities. Hmm. They're, they're not innate to me. Like, okay, Jocko Willink may have natural leadership skills. I didn't, but I developed them and I run multiple companies and have multiple leaders working for me. Um, and maybe I have better storytelling skills naturally. My dad was a great storyteller. So I do believe I have got a better storytelling ability, but English was a second language for me. So I had to develop the language that you guys started speaking from the womb. I had to learn the language, master it, and then be able to tell stories, right? And so there are skills and traits that we all have to develop. Like that's the weight we have to carry, the price we have to pay to be able to make an obscene amount of money and have an obscene amount of impact on people. So do you think people should develop those skills first before looking for a mentor or do it together, you know, at the together, same time? Together. If I could go back, I would, I would multitask everything. I would learn, I would work on my own personal development as I was learning how to market, as I was learning how to sell, as I was learning how to lead. I literally built my my franchise, Fit Body Bootcamp, just through good marketing and good sales. But because I was a poor leader, when I got to about 110 franchise locations across the country, it started to implode because my corporate office team got bigger. And now I wasn't just working with four employees. I had 14, 15 employees, different personalities, right? Uh, they all come from different life experiences. They see me differently. They respond to something differently. And had I known how to lead better, had I developed my leadership and marketing and sales skills at the same time, my company would not have imploded on itself. So, you know, I launched Fit Body Bootcamp in 2010, 2013, it imploded on itself. Then the rebuild phase began again. And I realized I've got to become a better leader. So imagine if I had done all of that from the get go. 
So what do you think is the main skill that um, men are lacking nowadays that should be the first thing they focus on before anything else? If they had to pick one. Dude, if, well, I don't know if this is a skill, but if, mm. how about this? I'll, I'll say there's one thing and then I'll tell you the skill. The one thing men have to do is get lean and jacked because it is the one thing that is 1000% under your control. So do they do that before earning money? Yes. Yeah, so that because comes first. That comes first. The, the skill to learn is sales. Here's why, even if you never have to go into sales, if you learn how to sell, it forces you to communicate, forces you to ask questions, forces you to connect with people, forces you to develop some level of charisma, mm. conversation, and we need that. That same thing you can type in a caption, right? If you're gonna do social media, whatever you're gonna end up doing. So if you can sell, you now have the ability to sell other people's stuff and write your own paycheck. Or if you can sell, you can then become an entrepreneur and really create your own big empire. But before all of that, develop the confidence and the capability that you can execute on something. You can start something and finish it by getting your fat self into a fit body and realizing like, man, I have total control over how I eat and how I train, even when I don't want to, even when it's cold, even when it's dark, even when I didn't sleep well, even when the got in a fight with the girlfriend, whatever it is, because if, you if you're able to get to the gym and eat right, even when all those things are going wrong for you, you know this, when you become an entrepreneur, when all those things go wrong for you, you're still focused, consistent, disciplined. The same things that it takes to build your body and get fit and lean is what, what's, the, what's needed to build a business. So sales. Yeah. Teach us to sell. Give us the crash course. What does someone need to know to become a sales master? Rapport. Rapport. Like, if you like me, you'll want to do business with me. Like, the easiest way to get you from, you know, metaphorically arms crossed and leaning back, as in I don't trust you, to arms down and leaning forward is rapport. Like, if I have something in common with you. So the greatest thing, obviously the number one thing, is you have to have a need or a desire for the thing, right? So you have to have a problem that my thing solves. Let's check that box off and let's just use fitness, right? So let's assume you're 30 pounds over, I know you're fit and jacked, but let's assume you're 30 pounds overweight. You're like, dude, I need that. But if you don't like me, if you think that maybe I'm a shyster, if I'm snake oil salesman, or you've heard something bad about me that he sells you big personal training packages and then he, he doesn't show up half the time, he's just inconsistent. Well, my reputation is not really gonna lead to a successful sale. So we have to build rapport, likability. I have to figure out what you want and have to deliver it. Not what you need, because your doctor's already told you what you need, right? You need to lose weight, you need to eat better. You're like, yeah, 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 and you just don't give a shit. I have to figure out what you want. So like, if I could build rapport with you, get you to know, like, and trust me, get you to want what I have instead of just need it, then the only thing there is what's stopping you from doing it. Because there's obviously irrefutable proof. Look at all of these people that have gotten results with my program. There's irrefutable proof. So you know you want it. We talked about that. We connect. Yes. Okay, great. So what stop? Is there anything that would stop you from doing this three, four days a week? No, there isn't. Well, great. Then let's move forward and do it. And so money is, the only time people bring up money is an objection, right? Well, what if they don't have money? The only time money comes up as an objection is when you fail to build value. Because if I was able to build so much value where money becomes irrelevant. So it's not that people don't have the money to pay, they don't have the desire to pay because you didn't build value. So build rapport, fit, find a way to get them to want what you sell instead of just need it. And then build so much value that they go, wow, it's only $5,000 a month to work with you. 
that's great value. I'll pay that. And it's simple, but people like to complicate things because then they go, that's why it doesn't work. I found that my franchise, my supplement company, my apparel company, my software companies that I've invested in, when I've gone in and I've simplified the model, we've had exponential growth. When the teams tend to complicate it by putting too many processes and procedures in place, it becomes convoluted and it becomes this big tugboat that slowly moves. Simplicity is the way, man. And all selling is, is just persuading someone that, hey, do you want this? Yes. Do you like me? Yes. Do we connect? Yes. Is the value greater than what I'm asking for in terms of money? Yes. Then are you using a Visa, MasterCard, or American Express? I'm using, <laughs> right? I'm using an American Express. Great. The first number's a three. What's the next number? Then I'm ready to go, right? And, but so much of it, people also do this. Well, $5,000 a month, I, I can't afford this, so maybe he can't either. Now you're transferring weird feelings. Like, mm. you, you got to let all that shit go, which is why, going back to our conversation, get fit and jacked, because it makes you more confident. Once you have confidence, you can sell a car, a house, a fitness program, fucking crypto, whatever it is you're into, right? Selling's not rocket science. It's not. That's why there's kids doing it from home, making an obscene amount of money. Do you think guys have a problem with being assertive as well? Like... When I first started seeing success in my businesses, I actually said what I wanted and I fulfilled on all those things and I hired the people I wanted to hire. But without that assertiveness, I don't think I would have got the result that I wanted. So do you think that's a problem with men? Sure, of course. Being assertive is a big problem with men. And today they've been neutered, defamed, declawed. All the assertiveness has been taken out of men. Like every single one of you probably tried to roughhouse with your dad growing up. Like every young boy tries to test themselves against other young boys, against their dad, against their sister, their mom. And like dad's like, no, 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 you can do that with me, not with your mom and your sister. Like we are very assertive. It's factory installed for you to be assertive. Then TV, news media, movies, school system, declaw and defang you and go, that's wrong, don't do that, right? Which great, don't go poking some kid's eye out in school. However, what's wrong with asking for what you want and being assertive about it, right? I, I hate all these participation medals they're giving out it's to bullshit. people. It's like, yeah, winning, you, you need to actually get a, a medal for winning, maybe third, first, second, or third, even though my dad said, if you come second, that's the first loser. So it's only number one, I think maybe should get a prize. But it just seems mental how, how people are getting prizes for participation. Yeah, I think school is the, is the problem for a lot of these issues, in my opinion. But then obviously it is an essential part of life. So it's just like, how do you combat it? Well, is it essential though anymore? School. I school. would say why, so why, to a certain extent, why? but I think also obviously what a is, lot of what does school do? Let me challenge you. Let me challenge you on that. And I challenge you with love. But what does mm. school do today that that is so essential? I think that your basic communication skills and obviously your English and maths at an early age is what becomes important. I mean, I got kicked out of school. I got kicked out of college. School was horrendous for me. Absolutely hated it because I would just go there and do what I wanted and not what I was told to do. I would just leave early when 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 I felt like it. So it wasn't a good experience for me at all. But I do. Well, think you that seem to communicate well. You I, seem to connect well. Yeah, but I think that that's probably just something. And that you're I've probably doing time. better than the average person your age. Correct. Yeah, yeah. You didn't do school. A lot of people call bullshit on the fact that you didn't go to school. Yeah, because I know. you're someone so good at communicating. Yeah, someone said the other day that I don't believe this guy's story. He's a faker because he communicates too well. It's like what? Because I can speak like a normal person. Right. I'm, I'm lying. Right. Maybe you read books on your own. Maybe you watch YouTube videos. Remember, there was a time that school was necessary because we didn't have access to information so easily available on a little piece of glass on our hand. Yeah. It's like why do we need to learn how to do this? thing in our head when in real life every single time you're just gonna correct google it well correct. i think to summarize what i was saying i think 
early school is important because it teaches you then basics that you need to know to go and progress. But I'm going to challenge you again. What basics? The English, maths, and a decent mother and with, father should be able to teach you that. Yeah, but then it's also, I guess, the communication as well, having to deal with them kids in the playground and, and you know, just the general nature of school. I think it's there, also there a case of like your mum might not be around because nowadays, you know, women are in the workforce and your dad's going to be at work as well. So, so where are you going to learn those things from? That opens I mean, up the conversation to something greater than. That's really the problem is there used to be a time that the family and the community schooled, right? Mm. Schooled. Now it's become a structured process with ideological stuff that are literally put into a young child's head. I don't want that brainwashing just so you could communicate with other kids. Now I gotta unindoctrinate my kid, right? I'd rather homeschool them. I'd rather figure out a way how to, how to have two income streams so my wife could stay at home. When I met my wife in the gym, I said, hey, one day I'm gonna be a successful entrepreneur. She was going to school, Biola University, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, which is weird because Everyone has a degree in something. In her case, it was a degree in physical therapy and a minor in Bible studies, but that's beyond the point. I said, if you have a job and I'm an entrepreneur, then does that mean our kids are gonna be inside of a daycare? Because I don't want my kids to see the inside of a daycare. So if we're gonna get married, if this dating is gonna go beyond this and into an engagement and a marriage, like you can't have a job. She was like, cool. Well, you better be a good entrepreneur and make us enough money where I could stay home because we live in California and Life's expensive here. That held my feet to the fire. She stayed home, never had a job, raised our two amazing kids. They communicate well. We bought the Signing Times DVD and my kids knew water and poop and I got to pee. And well before they could even articulate themselves, instead of crying like normal babies, they would say, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. I have to pee well before any of that because my wife poured into them. It's again, the mom and the dad actively being participants in the raising of that child today we just outsource that to school and we go oh that's it no. is interesting what you say because i mean i hate school just as much as the next person of course I think bro. it's awful but it's fucking stupid I, I do i've always just i guess it's just yeah blindly thought that the early days in school are important but i mean when you put it like that i suppose some of the benefits you got was building rapport from switching school to school to school maybe i don't know how you approach that with your kids but how, how did you kind I of act, I actively teach them okay. I'm like, do they go what? to school they went to private school, right. which is very different because it's yeah. not standardized by the government. Mm. They go to private school and they've, and part of their private school is all the world traveling that we did, right? Mm. What I, I said, look, I don't mind paying an obscene amount of money to, to your private school, but my wife and I are going to take our kids all over the world. We want them to understand many different cultures, to be connected. Dude, so I got on an airplane at six years old from Armenia to here, right? Well, Armenia to Rome, Italy to here. Didn't get back on an airplane until I was 26 years old again after that. All I knew was people in California. When I heard someone with a fancy accent like yours, I was like, holy fuck, you guys must be from Mars, right? <laughs> My kids, since they were babies, were interacting with people from Europe, Britain, Scotland, Ireland, all of the Asian uh, continents. And I, and I share that with you because they are so well-rounded and they get along with people so well. Uh, but when I found that Charisma On Command channel, yep. I, don't, I don't even know. Yeah, I love that. He's coming on the podcast at some point. Perfect, I was like, son, Start watching this video. Daughter, start watching these videos. I want you to develop charisma. I want you to develop storytelling. Like I would find channels and I would, we'd watch, watch this. It's like nine minutes long and then we're gonna talk about it, right? Again, I was invested in my kids. Our parents didn't do that, but that doesn't mean that we can't change the way that we parent, right? If we just go, this is how it's always been done, then we're always gonna raise generations that are indoctrinated 
by what the government wants, and the government is the opposition. And the government, by the way, is just people that have greed glands that secrete, and that greed gland secretes because the pharmaceutical companies, military industrial complex, the big giant food corporations that are poisoning you are bribing them and saying, educate kids on this. Teach them that Cheerios and Frosted Flakes are healthy. What the fuck? How and, so? And teach them to not think for themselves and to, to pass the test and give the answer that the book says is the answer. In, and so you can become a worker and do right. as you're told rather yeah. than going out and thinking about And then things. after all of that, not teach you anything about money at all. At all. And therefore- not, not it, one I mean, thing. that is- But just, that's by design. They don't want you to know about it. And, and then you get these, well, like, I know people that like, they'll be like 17, 18 years old and they just get a stupid little fine, like a, a $30 fine from, you know, from Parker, just some bullshit. And they don't pay it because they just think, oh, you know, that's just bollocks, whatever. They leave it. A year later, credit score is absolutely in the toilet just from a 30 pound fine that they didn't know right. would impact them like that because no one taught them. No one taught them. So if you don't have a dad around, I, I didn't grow up with a dad, but fortunately I just know these things through things like YouTube and just luckily I caught onto a few little things early. But you know, I, I could have been in that position and, and it's hard, you know, what do you do? But building on that, you have like a, a program that's for like young boys and their dads. Mm -hmm. I, yep. I don't know too much about it, but I find that interesting. So yeah, could you yeah, yeah. Expand so on it? I'm glad you brought that up too, because um, so many, many years ago, so my son is 18 years old now. His name is Andrew. And when my wife was pregnant with Andrew, my wife's uncle, who's an awesome entrepreneur, and he's currently now the CPA for one of my companies, uh, the certified public accountant for one of my companies, he gave me this book entitled Raising a Modern Day Knight. I was like, he goes, highly recommend that you read it and maybe consider raising your son this way. I read the book. I was like, holy shit, teaches chivalry and and really the old ways of how men would walk on the street side, on the sidewalk to protect the woman from obviously an oncoming car or something. Uh, it's explained modern days. If, if the woman, if you're going up an escalator, the woman's in front of you, you're behind her in case she falls. If you're going down the escalator, then you're in front, she's behind again in case she falls. Just chivalry and, and kindness and how to be just man skills, right? And I was like, dude, this is stuff that I need to learn. At that time, I was 28 years old, 29 years old. And so, and it talks about how there's all these cultures, like for example, in New Guinea, when the boy would turn about two, 12, 13 years old, um, the dad would get a group of other men that he trusted and they would wear these demonic masks and these capes and they would come into the house early in the morning and they would kidnap the boy. And of course the boy would panic. He's seeing these like men in demonic masks. And of course he's holding on to mom and mom is, you know, mom is in on it, but she's let go of my boy. He's my boy. Don't steal my boy. Sounds of course. like a YouTube prank going wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. So they take the boy out into the front of the house, uh, the, the hut, and they just start beating the boy up. Soon this boy starts fighting back and they let him win. And when they let him win and he wins, the dad takes off the mask and puts it on the boy and he says, you have now won a seat at the table where we're gonna pour into you and help you become a man of the tribe, right? Teaching the, the, the values, the belief systems, the rituals that men have. And the reason is we have to remember that there's nothing significant that happens that says, hey, you are now a man, right? Sometime at 12, 13, 14 years old, you start getting a little horny, maybe your voice changes, you develop a little bit of peach fuzz, and what's happening? I'm still rocking right? that now. Right, yeah, you're, you're almost there, right? <laughs> yeah. But think about what happens to a, a, a girl. When my daughter Chloe had her first period, her menstrual cycle, my wife was like, hey, 
you're now a woman. Like there's something very physical, like you have breasts and you have a menstrual cycle, you are now a woman. There's something very physical that happens that says you're a woman. Nothing happens to us that says you're now a man. Like it is a tribal thing, ritual that must take place. In, uh, in the Aborigines, they would take their young men that were 12, 13, 14 years old to the edge of the forest as the sun is going down. They take a knife, they just make a little gash on him so he could bleed, hand him the knife and say, go into the forest and fend for yourself. Come out when the sun comes up, we'll be standing for, with, for you right here waiting for you. When you do, you've now won a seat at the table. So it's a rite of passage. We need a rite of passage. Every young man wants to know if he has what it takes to be with the men. This is why you're trying to roughhouse with your dad. It's instinct for you. And so that's all gone away. Boys don't know if they have what it takes. And so they go, you know what? Let me take this weapon and go and do a school shooting. Guns have been around for an awful long time. Just there was dads around who would mold these young men and teach them how to deal with anger and frustration. Because when a woman is angry and frustrated, she might cry. That's how her emotions might show up. She will cry and maybe have a couple of glasses of wine with her friends and talk about it. When a man is angry and frustrated, he goes into a blind rage. And if you can't control those emotions, I might do a lot of violence, right? And so a dad's job is to go, hey, son, what you're feeling Let's go to the gym and take it out in the weights. Let's go and box. Let's go and put the mats out and roll, right? There's so many other ways that men can go and work through their anger and frustration. But today they say, hey, look, we're all the same. We're all the same. No, we're not. You are not allowed to let your emotions run wild, fellas. You can feel emotions. You can't let them run wild because you can do a lot of violence. And so the project is bringing back, not the project, sorry, the Squire program, is bringing back what we've lost for hundreds of years now, which is a rite of passage. So fathers and sons show up. Uh, we typically put about 40 fathers and sons through it at a time. It's a 12-hour experience. They do fun stuff like pulling a truck with, you know, with a rope uh, competitively. So two trucks, two ropes, divide them fathers versus the sons or groups together, ice baths, hikes, whatever. And in between, there's lessons that we share that teach them things like, you know, how to shake hands, how to stand up and shake hands, how to make eye contact, how to open a door for a woman, all the things that are supposed to be passed down from generation to generation that just went away. Would you say that your clientele, is it men that want to teach their kid how to be? Or is it like the man doesn't really know what to do himself? So he's almost coming to teach himself how to be the dad. That's a good point. About half of the group, uh, the dads afterwards pull me aside and go, hey, this was as important for me yeah. as it was for my son. I go, tell me why. He goes, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. And then at the end of that 12 hours, the final hour, we put these boys through a, an obstacle course where we, the, blind, the father will blindfold them. And over a 30-yard distance, uh, we show the boys. There's two-by-fours with rusty nails sticking out, um, just these big, giant tumbleweeds of razor wire. We've ordered bear traps from Alaska. So there's these bear traps that are there and open. And we go, hey, young men, you're going to be blindfolded. You're going to start here. And your dad's going to stand next to you without touching you. He's going to guide you through this obstacle course. So over the next 11 hours, you want to develop such rapport like you've never developed over the last 11 years because your dad's about to walk you through this obstacle course at the end of the day. And when they do, man, it is just tears. It is a waterworks. And what we're really teaching them is right now, you've got to listen to your dad because he's got life experience. He's got time under his belt. 
But in the future, that same voice of reason is your gut. Don't listen to government who is trying to influence you and persuade you and make you take an injection that may or may not be good for you. Instead, what does your gut tell you? Because a lot of people that I know are saying, you know, if I could go back, I wouldn't have taken that jab. You can't take it out of you now, can you? You didn't listen to your gut because your gut wasn't tuned in because no one ever told you to listen to your gut because you've been told by the system since you were a little puppy, follow the rules and become a good little worker ant, right? And so these dads and these sons have this amazing experience, man, and I love it. And I tell the dads, I go from now on, like two, three times a year, go on an adventure with your son. I've been doing that with Andrew for years. And it's just such a cool thing, man. And now my son is going to mentor someone else, like his his kids and people in his neighborhood. And that's what we need. What should the kids do that don't have a father like that? Because as I said, I grew up without a father. And I also have a lot of friends who, if they were to go to their dad and say something, he'd probably just say, ask your mum. Right. Your, your mum runs the household. This is actually incredibly common at the moment is men just saying, ask your mum. Yeah. What does your mum think? They outsource their and responsibility. it's so strange. Yeah, it's weak. Mm. Well, it's... It's not strange, it's by design. So what does that kid do? That kid, this is why your guys' show is so important. Like shows like this, why YouTube is so valuable. I know there's also a lot of shit on social media, but there's also so much great value because if the right little ears hear this, they're gonna go to mom or dad and go, hey, uh, can you put me in jujitsu? Can you put me in martial arts? Can you put me in soccer? Can you put me in, or football, I should say, <laughs> yeah. right? Can you put me in some kind of a sport, like something where I can have coaches who will have that positive male influence? Because remember, it does take a tribe. At every Squire program, there's always a, a few moms whose sons don't have the dads in their life. And they reach out to me on social media and they go, hey, I've got a son, he's 12, he's 13, he's 14. Um, there's no older brother, there is no uncle, there is no dad in his life. What do I do? I, don't worry about it. Just send him on over. You don't even have to pay if money's an issue. I've got I got you covered. And Leighton, for example, will go through with them or, or one of my friends who's former military will go through with them. Like, it doesn't matter who the dad figure is. You just need an older male. That's why Squire program, right? Knights had squires. That wasn't his dad. That squire's job was to tend to that knight's armor, to his horse, and in the process, learn from that night the way of men. And so it doesn't have to be your dad. It could be a coach. It could be a mentor. But that young man who's listening needs to go find his male mentors and replace metaphorically the, the dad who should have been with these coaches and mentors. From, from what you were saying to me earlier, it sounds like what people need to do is like just come up with and learn one high value skill because you met your mentor but first you'd learn how to personal train and that put you in a position of value where they could meet someone. So I think people who are stuck at home and they have no father figure, they should just focus on learning one skill yep. that will then unlock the world yeah. and they yeah. can expand from there. And, That's and what I it do sounds believe like to me from in your today, You're right. And in today's world, I believe that one high value skill is sales because you could do that from anywhere and you will have access to a lot of great people. Like if you're selling for someone, odds are that someone has some level of influence, right? If I'm a young man and I'm gonna sell for you guys, if you guys have a course, an education, a mastermind program, something that you're selling, well, you guys probably have access to other great people that have sat in this chair. Man, if I could sell really well and really like get noticed by you as one of your army of closers, I might move up the ranks and one day you might be like, hey dude, what can we do for you? I'm like, holy shit, man, I'd love to just come and watch as you're interviewing people. And then maybe, just maybe one guy sitting at that seat takes interest in me and now I've, I can put sweat equity in, right? They've got the audience, but I'll do the work. And now I've become a 10% business partner with some legend who's sitting in the seat. I've seen that happen many a times. That young man standing right there is in that position right now. 
He doesn't work for me. He works with me. He's building his company as he's building my company. And so I share this with you because, again, that one high-value skill of sales, I believe, can open up many doors. And it's not impossible. And it's not just for the gifted. It's something that you can learn. Mm. So earlier you mentioned a few of your businesses. Now will probably be a good time to dive into them a little bit more. Sure. So could you explain like maybe your five largest ones and, yeah. and what they do? Yeah. So Fit Body Bootcamp, which is arguably our, our biggest brand, nine, nine figure company. It's an international fitness franchise. They're about three to 4,000 square foot gyms. We market to women, but welcome men. We have hundreds of franchise locations across the world. Uh, and I started Fit Body Bootcamp. Here's a great example. Like people go, should you start a business when the economy fails? The housing market crashed in 2008. Personal training, one-on-one -on -one personal training was very hard to come by because people were running out of money. And I realized we can do one-on-many and bring the cost of personal training down, group training, mm. so make it more affordable and convenient for people. And so that's how Fit Body Bootcamp started. Um, so that's an international fitness franchise and we're all over the world. Uh, Truline Supplements, um, I realized that I've got hundreds of locations with each with hundreds of clients in them. They need supplements. We can start truly supplements. And again, it took discipline, right? So let's talk about singularity of focus and discipline real quick. I told myself that I would not start my supplement company until I had 500 locations, franchise locations, because it's so easy for the idea fairy to come to us entrepreneurs if you're not disciplined. So you're starting all these half-baked businesses, none ever crossing the finish line. And so when I committed to the idea of 500 franchise locations before I start truly the supplement company, that forced me to hold my feet to the fire, get to 500 locations. Literally, the day we sold our 500th location, hired a team, put $1.7 million in, started creating a supplement brand. But it's not like you're doing something completely different. You're linking it to the Correct. existing empire. So it makes sense yeah. to, to roll that one, into it. One feeds the other. Mm. Uh, so, so that's truly supplements. The other company is Fuel Hunt. It's a, a awesome apparel line. I was a customer of theirs. The, the, the brand is called Everybody Wants to Eat, but Fuel Hunt, right? Like, if, if you're a type A driven person like you guys, you get it. Everybody wants to like, everyone wants to be a gangster until it's time to do gangster shit. And so Fuel Hunt, I used to buy their clothes and wear it. And they reached out to me and they said, hey, every time you wear our clothes, uh, sales go up on, on your show on stage. And I didn't realize they were a small company, just two cousins working out of a basement. So I reached out to them. I said, you know, trying to sell them coaching at the time. This is like three years ago. And um, I'm on the phone with them and I realized they can't even afford my coaching. Like I got to pay them to get one of them to quit their jobs so they can go full time if I want equity. So I was like, since you can't afford me, let me, let me pay 50 grand, take 20% equity. And now both of you work instead of one of you work and one of you work at nights and weekends because I'm about to blow this shit up. <laughs> and so now I own 20% equity in uh, Fee Will Hunt. Um, so that's a three. And then Project and Squire. Uh, these are my passion projects uh, while they're great businesses. Um, project literally makes me zero dollars. It's a 75 hour experience for men who want to develop themselves into uh, modern day nights, uh, faith, family, fitness, and finance. And um, the pro every class of the project cost me about a hundred grand to run. And we make about 80 to $90,000 when we run it. But what's great is I make so much money in my other companies that I could literally run the project three times a year at a loss. Uh, but then you've got the squire where we now are not franchising that, but we're licensing the Squire program across the country, Southern California now, Houston, um, Arizona, North Carolina, and we've got a couple other locations coming. And then I've got equity in all these software companies and a few other companies um, that I'm not like the main shareholder. 
uh, but I'm I hold equity and I use my influence and access to force growth. What does um project involve? It sounds like similar to the father son one, but just for yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> dude, it's it's crazy. I wrote my book Man Up in 2018. Well, it, it got published in 2018. I started writing it in 2015. And in my book, Man Up, I talk about how I do these six-week challenges. Like I always told myself, remember we talked, started this thing off by telling ourselves stories and that creates an identity. Well, I was always told, you know, you're just, you're a big kid. You're a big kid. Like everything I wore was like tight on me, right? You're a big kid. And so I was like, fuck it. I'm big and strong. You know, six foot, 230 pounds. That's fine. I'm not made to run. I'm made to lift. So you grow up thinking that all I do is lift. And one day I'm like, I think I can run a marathon. So I hired a running coach trained for six weeks and ran the San Diego Marathon, 26.2 miles. And dude, not only did I break so many limiting beliefs just on the physical side of things, I broke through so many limiting beliefs in relationships as a father, as just a human, like things that were just weighing me down, right? I'm like, well, if I could do that, what else can I do in six weeks? So I started doing all these six-week challenges, jujitsu for six weeks, and then I would you know, end up in a fight, MMA, um, salsa dancing, guitar lessons, um, improv classes. And I'm an introvert, bro. Like improv, like, are you fucking nuts? Right. But I would do things that would put me out of my comfort zone. And each time I would not only get better in that category of life, I would get better across all categories of life. So I'm talking about it in my book and all these men now who are buying my book, dude, you should run some kind of a challenge for us. I'm like, pick one. It's in the book. Pick one. Of course, you hear that enough and you realize, okay, if I were to run a challenge, what would I do? Well, it would probably be about 75 hours. I would need an angry Navy SEAL and an angry Marine to like really beat the shit out of these guys through like physical stuff. But I would want to teach them the business discipline. Tom's and the, thinking, when are we going to do this? Right? We, we've got to, we've <laughs> we've got got to do it. This, this, I Dudes, love, it, I will literally, it will literally yeah. change your life. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it, it's nothing like the military. People go, it's not it like the military. No, no. Yeah. The military doesn't teach you how to be a better husband, how to be a better father, how to overcome your limiting beliefs, how to start businesses and grow businesses and scale businesses and make connections for you to the right people to help you scale. So it's two military guys and a SEAL and a Marine, my, my lead instructors who really beat the shit out of them. And then there's a lot of classroom time. There's a lot of journaling time. There's a lot of crying time, right? You don't see that in the videos that we put out because that part's not sexy. What you see is these guys sitting in ice baths and hiking with logs and shit. Uh, but it's 75 hours straight. And, I don't um, think Kai's down for it. <laughs> no, it like, just, yeah, no, no, no. You, you two were excited. Sleep. I look yeah, at him yeah, and he's just like looking away. Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah don't, don't talk to me. I'll, I'll just sort of stay on my laptop <laughs> yeah. and do some work. But I will, <laughs> I will tell you this. Unlike the Squire program, which is 12 hours, this is 75 hours. Mm. And unlike the Squire program, um, everyone who starts the Squire program ends it at the end of the 12 hours. We start the average project class with 40 men. Typically, 17 to 20 will graduate. Uh, there's a bell. And I... The first class, um, I was like, well, guys, the first class had like 12 or 13 people, right? Because uh, I wanted it to be small. And so like, how's this going to go? And the Navy SEAL goes, uh, we need a bell. I'm like, why do we need a bell? He goes, well, you know, in Bud's training, quitters have to ring a bell. I'm like, no, no, no. They paid 12 grand for this. Like, no one's quitting, dude. They're going to go, like, they're going to quit. Me and Steve are going to make him quit. Steve's the Marine. <laughs> so I reluctantly invested 50 bucks in a bell, right? Sure enough, we had two bell ringers off that first class. And every class we have, we've had bell ringers, which breaks my heart. But those that don't ring the bell and come out the other side, they literally, the term flip the switch that I talk about is from there. 
Uh, me and the instructors throughout the night will look at these guys as they're crawling hundreds of yards carrying a rucksack and a, and a uh, sledgehammer. They're in pain, their knees are scraped up, they sleep deprived, they don't know what time it is. Uh, food's very limited to them. And, you can t and we bring the bell everywhere we go, to the beach, to the hikes, to the pit, when it's like a 400 yard crawl at two in the morning. And you can tell they're looking at the bell. My job is just to be the papa bear and go, hey, like, you wanna ring that bell, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> you can ring it on the next evolution. Fair enough, just make it through this one, ring it on the next one. My instructors, on the other hand, wanna drag them to the bell and make them ring it, right? So there's this duality between us instructors, which is great. But at some point, we'll be looking at someone and they just stop looking at the bell and they look at the instructors and they just look through them, right? As David Goggins says, these guys just take the souls of my instructors. And I love that. That's when they flip the switch. And I'll walk up to the SEAL or I'll walk up to the Marine. And I'm like, hey, man, he switched, flipped the switch, huh? He's like, yep. We don't even have to worry about that guy. We could literally shit on him and he will be there at hour number 75 to graduate. And that's what we want, these men to flip the switch. Because when they leave that 75 hours, the rest of life is like a one or a two and no longer a nine or a 10 on the stress level. So these people that ring the bell, do they ask for their money back or what's the situation? No, there? no, no, no. They, uh, they be so ashamed. They know from the get go that they, they can't ask for their money back. They mm. have to pay again to go through if they want to go through. Um, only three have gone through, come back and gone through and graduated of probably because we've had 17 classes now over the last four years, about uh, 200 graduates, probably about a hundred and thirty bell ringers only three have come back and done it what percentage don't about 50 percent? did you say about 50 percent won't make it but half ring the bell and half are medical drops right yeah. so for right. example if you're dehydrated we have to cart you off to the yeah. ambulance you can come back and do it next time you know what i mean but I if you ring the bell then i you guess can't. that's how you measure that the level is where it should be because if everyone was graduating it's not hard enough it's not hard enough yeah yeah, yeah. we literally keep them on the edge and by the way no one who has rung the bell, exactly zero people that have rung the bell, no one has rung the bell because it was too hard for them physically. In that moment, they said, this is too hard, I can't keep going. Afterwards, because I talked to them afterwards to make sure they're good, like the next day, they were just mentally and emotionally spent. Like mm -hmm. they didn't know how much longer I have to go. Instructor Steve keeps making us restart. I didn't know how many more times we're gonna restart. I don't know how many more times we're gonna go in the ice bath. I don't know how many more minutes we're gonna stay in the ice. The unknown, the mental fuck uppery is what gets him to quit, not the physical. Not the physical. It sounds a bit like a Mr. Beast video, but more extreme. Yeah. Dude, have you, so have you actually fun. posted some of these on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. We, we have a, a project channel and uh, we certainly have our own haters. There's so many people that hate the project and like, oh, this is some dudes in the back of a Walmart parking lot, <laughs> da, 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 and whatever. But uh, it's trans. So what's their yeah. main objection to it? Just the fact that you're... Yeah, in whatever you just said there, Walmart, back of the car that, that, that I'm empowering men, that I'm empowering men and I'm charging them for it. Like now the price is $18,000 and those who graduate get a year of coaching mastermind with me. So we have a special mastermind of just project graduates. So you get monthly Zoom calls with me and two in-person live meetups. Um, and you get that 75 hour experience, right? But there's a price to everything. And I pay my instructors well, and just the liability insurance for one class is $30,000, right? Uh, the two medics full time, like there's a cost to it. Like it's literally six figures to run it. Six figures is what we make from it. Uh, so people have an objection to that. And every one that I see who objects to it, 
you can tell they're transferring some weird energy and feeling that they have. They feel like I can't do this or I know I need to do this, but I don't want to do this. I'm not quite ready to do this. So fuck them for doing it. Because you're not forcing anyone either. It's, no, bro. A, you're allowed to yeah. not do it. Yeah. But to say and they literally, it's not useful. Bro, and they literally say, that's not even a real Marine. That's not even a real SEAL. It's like, go look do them up. Go look <laughs> them up, right? And you know what my challenge to them? And not a single person has taken it. So anyone watching this or listening to this, here's my challenge to you. Pay and do the project. When you graduate, I will not only give you a refund. Like if you have an objection to the project and think it doesn't work, that it won't change your life, pay and do the project. When you graduate, I'll give you a refund and I'll pay $18,000 towards your favorite charity. I've told, an, I've told every single hater, because I love trolling the trolls. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a troll troller. And uh, <laughs> they just disappear. I'm like, dude, you're going to get your money back and $18,000 goes towards your favorite charity. Not interested. Okay. Be a bitch. <laughs> so you might not want to answer this one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Google says your net worth is 200 million. How accurate is that? Fairly accurate, surprisingly. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. Quite yeah. straightforward. <laughs> yeah, Everyone's always like, well, you know, yeah. I don't really want to say it exactly. Well, especially with Fit Body Bootcamp being a public, you know, like it's it's a franchise. And it's mm -hmm. so you, you can you can get the FDD, which is the Franchise mm -hmm. Disclosure Documents, because the Federal Trade Commission oversees franchises. You could see the revenue that our locations make. And so it's, you know, like the numbers are out there. Sure. So, so is most of your money in the businesses and, and not in other investments? Or how do you split it? Uh, I definitely sit on... I sit on a few million. I do like having cash. It feels mm. good. Uh, but most of my money are deployed in businesses. Yeah. Mm. At any given time. How do you spend it on yourself? Does does it make you happy to spend money or are you quite reserved in that aspect? Yeah, I'm pretty, I mean, I have a few nice cars. Um, like. What are we dealing with cars wise? Oh, not, nothing like, I'm not the Ferrari Lamborghini guy. Like I've got a couple of really nice trucks. I got a couple of nice, like muscle cars. I uh, just sold my uh, 1972 Chevy Chevelle. Like those, I just have like weird, uh, like I like muscle cars and big trucks and stuff. Um, I've got a really nice home. I've got a ranch in Temecula, 26 acre ranch that I bought with Dan Fleischman. I don't know if you guys know who yeah. Dan Fleischman mm -hmm. is. Uh, I, I value freedom and sovereignty over all things. Like I could literally put my family on a plane and end up anywhere and live like a king. And I need that in my life. Um, so... I have several timepieces. Uh, when you when they're over ten grand, they're no longer watches; they're timepieces. Um, I don't wear them much. I have several custom made suits, each at ten, fifteen grand a piece, with my logo BK in, in the lining. I, I don't wear them much. Um, freedom and sovereignty is what I value most. Taking care of my team, I love. I love paying my team well. Um, and uh, I love growing companies, man, because to me, it's a great challenge. So that's where most of my money gets spent. What timepieces do you have? We just sort of skated over that a bit uh, too A few much. Rolexes, few uh, Cartiers, a um, couple of Burtlings. Um, and, and, and it's funny, right? Because I thought, and this is like, these were all purchased 12, 15 years ago. Wow. And I was like, wow, dude, like when you get rich, you gotta have nice suits. And that's when the suits came about too. And I realized, Dude, I love wearing jeans, t-shirt, and chucks. Mm -hmm. Like that's literally, when I wore the suits, like God's blessed me with good looks and lots of sweat glands, right? <laughs> I'm being funny, not, not a lot of good looks, but I sweat profusely. Why the fuck would I wear a three-piece suit? Because I thought that's the right thing to do, get custom suits and custom shoes. Dude, I got shoes that like, like dress shoes that, that are like four or five grand a piece. And 
it fucking hurt my feet because I got flat feet like a platypus, right? But I share that with you because when I started making money, I thought you have to show it by having these high-end watches and the bling. And now I just like, I fucking show up and you know who I am. And that's it. And so what am I going to do with all that? Well, I don't know. I'll pass it along to my son. I'm not going to sell it, right? Do you Um, think you would have shifted your perspective if you hadn't grown your personal brand? Because now people know who you are. They know what you were from Google. And you don't need to prove that to anyone. Whereas if you didn't have that on on social media online, then maybe would you feel like you have to prove it more? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right about that. Yeah, Yeah. I, I really needed to prove that this broke, former broke, foreigner immigrant kid has made it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like my son and daughter won't have to do that. They just like we have a housekeeper named Marlin. Uh she is not just a housekeeper. She's there 8 hours a day changing light bulbs, the garbage, food, whatever. Like she's basically like a second wife. Um they just know like they're going to have a Marlin in their life. Like I've already, I've talked to them. I'm like, "You know, when you guys move out of the house, like I know you're not going to do your own laundry, you're not going to clean your own shit." Like, "Nope. We need to make an obscene amount of money, dad. Like, I don't give a fuck about watches or all that stuff because they want that freedom like I do. They want to have a, a Marlin in their life. Like like Hugo was outside waiting for us, my driver. Like, that's what I fucking want. We don't Uber here. We have I, Hugo. I fuck with that so hard. We were literally just saying this in the car the other yeah, day. Dude. I want a driver so bad. Bro, I don't know. Hugo's been driving us around for five, six years now. Like, th- that's what I want. What I, first, I a driver or a chef? Driver. Driver. Why, why do you say driver? Because well, Tom was it, talking the other day. He's like, chef is important because it gives you all that but nutrients. It, but that's for me. So the the amount of traveling I do yeah. is I'd prefer the chef. But for yourself, right, it might right, be right. the priorities might be different. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. But yeah. I think if if you live with a girlfriend, then you've already got a chef. So you don't need that. <laughs> I'm not even but being funny. Not all of us no, can I be as it. lucky as it. having <laughs> restaurant quality food. Like yeah. Um, so for me, yeah, I yeah, think it is driver. lifestyle specific. You're right. But my lifestyle specifically, and actually, we use. We use Hugo less than ever these days. Um, but when I was really doing speaking gigs everywhere and, you know, driving around, going to podcasts and stuff, uh, like Hugo just made it easy for me to sit in the back of the Escalade and do my thing. And then, oh, we're there, right? And like, we don't have to drive in different cars or whatever. The whole crew just piles up and we do our thing. To me, it's just the quality of life, the freedom, the access. I need that more than anything. And I want to be able to have so many businesses that if the economy shifts here, that business is going to make more money while this one's losing. Like my franchise took a hit. What gym didn't take a hit in 2020, right? Mm -hmm. We lost 218 franchise locations. Mm -hmm. My supplement company skyrocketed because we created the wellness shot, which was something to help boost your immune system, right? And so I want that because I will never be under the thumb of the oppressor. I come from an oppressed country. To me, I value sovereignty and freedom more than anything. We've spoken a little bit about girlfriends and your wife and your in your family. What should uh, a young man be looking for in a woman? Asking for a friend, are you? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, what I th- should I look for? Help me out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what you want to look for is a woman who aligns with your own core values. So be really specific with your core values. And your core values don't just have to be like, I want someone with integrity and with class and modesty and uh, you know who's gonna be good with my family and uh, who's gonna be a great mother. Those are all great too, but maybe if you like to keep yourself fit, it's okay to ask for a fit wife. If you're like, hey, I don't want a wife who's gonna be like training shoulders on Instagram, but the camera angle is right from her butt then it's okay to say, I want a wife who's not going to be all up on social media. Like, so my opinion is you figure out what your core values are, your highest value system in every category of life, in in relationship, in companionship, in family, in 
uh, how they're going to present themselves socially in person and on social media, et cetera, in belief systems, even fucking kids. Like I, I can't believe when I meet couples and they're like, we never talked about having kids and now we're approaching 40 and I want to have kids and he doesn't. Like motherfucker, how do you not talk surely about- Surely that's one of the first things you ask. Right? Yeah. Like, and, and then you might go, how many? <laughs> You're looking right? a bit awkward. Yeah, I don't. Is that an issue for you? No, no, I've just never, we don't talk about it. I never talk about marriage or kids. Yeah, yeah. But if you get around to that, it. you might want to consider if you, if like marriage ever becomes an issue, you might want to ask, right? Like, because if you, if she wants none and you want four, if she wants one, you want three, there is going to be conflict there. Money. How does she spend money? If I'm going to make a lot of money, bro. Yeah, but obviously she spends it recklessly though. Like what girl doesn't? Mm, not necessarily well, yeah really not necessarily i wouldn't say charlie spends it recklessly she will buy any ad that she sees on social media and the only reason that she wouldn't spend money is if she didn't have it so what would you say to kai in that situation there <laughs> have you had a conversation with her no but i don't really mind though okay. like obviously i think it's it's reckless and it is silly but well, like let, I don't let, really me, care. let me let me correct you for a moment because i think you're a really awesome kid you don't mind now yeah obviously that's true obviously yeah. it when you say you don't back. mind let me tell you you don't mind now because same thing when uh, a young couple, they're in that honeymoon period, the first 14 months, we're like, oh, I love the smell of her breath. I love how she chews <laughs> bubblegum. I love how she opens her mouth like a fucking horse when she's brushing her teeth. <laughs> All that is sexy the first 14 months. Three years later, you want to strangle her for it. Yeah, I'm already eight years deep. Okay. The point is, it's going to wear on you. So you might as well have that conversation at some point if you plan on marrying her because if you're like hey i don't mind well what happens when you start stacking millions like eight figures nine figures right and you're like fuck she's got a insatiable money spending habit and i want to manage my money better and this is yeah he has the same habit yeah i'm bad so. at spending as well yeah we're both just as bad as each other i think actually to be fair though to to rectify what i've said because it probably was just a bit out of context i wouldn't say that it's like crazy reckless i would say it's more just like stupid shit though yeah you know like it's not like ridiculous amounts of money but it's just like why have you bought that though sure and and a lot of it is like to make themselves feel better right like mm. that's why i bought all those watches i wanted to mm. show up like an entrepreneur should how this picture i had in my mind's eye same with the custom suits and shoes and all that when i think about the Three or four hundred thousand dollars, hell, probably three quarters of a million dollars sitting in my closet, in my walk in closet that I don't use. I'm like, fuck, I, I could have bought cars, I could have had experiences, I could have bought a few more rental properties with that, like all those other things, right? But I had this idea in my head. My, my wife, she comes from a modest family, uh, she went to a university that you know puts faith on a, on a pedestal. Uh, she understands that in the relationship that i'm the leader like these are all the values that i had and i asked about all of them and so we don't have a misunderstanding in terms of how things are done um and, and to me that's important because i don't want to build this um this tension between us especially as you know you get kids and if she starts getting entitled then you start getting resentful that's how people become two ships passing in the night and i don't want that so to long story short to answer your question develop your core of values figure out like what is truly a non-negotiable for you in every category and just go hey this is how i carry myself and uh this is how i'm what i'm looking for in you and if she doesn't have it maybe she's willing to develop it and if she is great if she's not peace out I have a feeling it's so it's, it will be so difficult to find um, someone that ticks every single box because certain, for example, one red flag for me is a girl who needs external validation. Right. And obviously these days with social media and 
um, the choices that girls have, a lot of women do possess that trait where even if they're with you, they they do seek that from other sources or whatever. So yeah. just as one example, but- uh, yeah, That's a great point. Like you said, a lot, mm. but not all. Yeah, gotta find the unicorns. Sure, they're out there. And do, like- Do you think there's less out there thing now? Do, of course. Because of course, of social, social media has fucked it all up, mm. right? And in fact, the dudes that have the Ferraris, this, that, and the other, like, I mean, Leighton's all up in my DMs. He can tell you how many fucking gay men and straight women are hitting on me knowing that I'm married, right? They understand that the person has money, he's in good shape, he has a, a way about him, like all the things that their instincts are looking for. Like, I need someone to, someone to protect, to look after, to give me access to things, because at the end of the day, and then for women, we want something too, like, the shape that you have just makes me salivate, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, social media has fucked it up, but just be one of the dudes, like like build yourself up to be the guy, to be the magnet, like attract her instead of finding her and searching her out, attract her. You can, uh, that's, that's what I did with my wife. It was pre-social media, I will tell you that. Uh, but even in the gym, like she was always dressed modestly. She's in great shape. She was a runner, an athlete, but she was always dressed modestly in the gym and I would see guys talking to her and she would just like, and I knew what those, types of guys those were because I'm a gym rat and she would just turn them away and I'm like all right that girl's a hoe that girl's a hoe that girl's a hoe this chick's not like then you can kind of start seeing ah she's got the values that I want they just have the values that I want for a night so how'd you get it cracking then so you identify in the gym that she's not a hoe what's the next step oh bro it was so easy I'm like hey you want to train legs right because like it was just a workout it's like so easy you want to train legs yes well we trained you want to go eat got to put the proteins in the muscles <laughs> yes, yes. Boom, now you're already on a date. She don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah, so so Smooth. to me it was that. So a few of those, I'm like, ain't it crazy how we've been on like three or four dates? She's like, we have? I'm like, don't act like you weren't having fun. She's like, and you know, so like I use a lot of humor and stuff, but yeah, just, and I think there was energy there already between her and I, and I just had to, but I certainly wasn't gonna be like one of those guys to get rejected. So I was like, they're stupid by saying, hey, like let's go on a date and she's rejecting them. I'm just gonna be like, let's do a benign workout. Nothing harmful about a workout, right? and beat the shit out of her in the gym and like i saw her work ethic i was like all right i like that so it's like a bit of a test beforehand hell yeah like, everything's yeah, a test yeah this is a test everything's a test like if we go to dinner i'm gonna wait for you to eat first because i'm testing you like everything is a competition and a test everything and so um so what does eating first mean then you know i said this at my event a couple of weeks ago i'm like you'll go to lunch with me and you won't even know that i'm competing i'm so competitive because i really believe men need the competitive spirit <laughs> this is this guy this is the i'm very so competitive for, for context we we just started boxing lessons yeah we decided good we wanna, for you we want to learn how to fight yeah. so we we got someone over to to the crib and we did some private boxing lessons and we had one session and he quickly realized that i you were quicker than me his opinion was a better boxer mm. out the gate I obviously didn't think anything of it. I wasn't comparing myself to him or him or anyone. Yeah, you we were definitely better than both of us. Yeah, that's for um, sure. Yeah, but he says he's oblivious to it. No, he was, he I, was I bet better. You, you saw. So we, we have these lessons every week or whatever. Um, a couple months down the line, I realize, or he gets drunk actually and admits to me, he's been having private boxing lessons <laughs> aside from our normal boxing lessons behind that. the scenes so to get ahead. I could just get better. That's exactly yeah. what I would do. And I wasn't competing, but he was just competing yeah, but without you, you me. Got offended. You got offended. Yeah, no, like, I, I can't think, believe you've done I, this I, I think he was offended as well though, because I found out very early because I've got access to his Instagram account. Sure. And the guy was going to DM and I would have inevitably seen it. So he told me and he was like, but you know, you're not meant to know. It's meant to be low key. So then when Tom found out, it's like, wait, so both of you have known this whole I wasn't time. offended. I was shocked. 
because I thought, hang on, we're we're brothers on this mission. We're trying to do this. But together. that's exactly why we need to compete with each other <laughs> and, and level each other up. Yeah, yeah. That you you actually have a great point. You really do. Like you've got an obligation to make these guys look less and you two have an obligation to have the same thing yeah like it's it's all competitive and everything we do in all my companies I, we always i call it the speeding train like you walk into hq our two-story building and i always welcome the new person i'm like hey in two weeks you're going to know whether you belong on the speeding train or not like it's going to rattle your teeth and your organs and you're going to just be forced to grow in two weeks and you're either going to be like fuck this this isn't for me or holy shit i found my people right but we're all massively competitive and that's the environment that you want because it'll make the show better for sure for sure so yeah when you see me being better at boxing i'd imagine that you would go and get private lessons behind the scenes yeah i don't get think you'll yourself. get to that we'll see <laughs> you don't need it you're too good already <laughs> but anyway i think this has been a great podcast Pleasure. thanks for coming on yeah really thank appreciate you appreciate it i do appreciate it if you guys have enjoyed make sure to smash that thumbs up button for the youtube algorithm and we will see you next wednesday with a brand new podcast so it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from all of us <laughs> awesome thank you for that that was a pleasure thanks guys you guys are fantastic